Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gass, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. I actually have someone joining us today. It's our new Education and Events Coordinator, not so new, Education and Events Coordinator, Emily Kroll. Welcome, Emily. Ah, it's good to be here for the first time. Yeah, so uh, I think we'll tell just real quickly your story of how we hired you during the pandemic. And I only met you, was it last week or two weeks ago? I think it's been two weeks at this point. All time is kind of running together. Um, but uh, so we'll do that. Uh, today we're just going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about Supreme Court. Yay! We're going to talk about uh, endorsements for the election for the August primary. Uh, we're talking about the Miracle, the State Board of Canvassers, uh, which was a miracle. And uh, I'm still kind of shocked and disbelief. It's been a weird week. But, uh, but yeah, just introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, you have been working for Rights Life in Michigan for like three months now? Just over two. Just over two months. And when we hired you, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And you were stuck in Alaska, and we interviewed you sight unseen besides a Zoom <laughs> interview. With a crazy dog in the background, yes. <laughs> that might have helped you out during the interview process. You know, you go for the sympathy points. That, that works out sometimes. And, uh, yeah, I didn't meet you until two weeks ago, personally. Yeah. Quite many, many, many video calls. It has been a very strange time. So, yeah, I was visiting family in Alaska when the shutdowns started going into effect around the country. And I kind of got stuck there for a little while. And so when I interviewed over the Internet for the job, I was sitting in my sister's living room with her dog running around looking at a neighbor's cat. So it really was strange circumstances. And I spent my first week and a half on the job in Alaska before finding a job back to Michigan where I was in quarantine and working from a woods uh, before I was able to move back into a house. So it's been a very strange process to come and work for Right to Life of Michigan, but it's been rewarding. I'm just glad to finally be in the office and meeting the people I've been working with for two months. And, and we're all happy that we're finally back uh, because it has been long, but Rights Life Michigan, our offices are open uh, with slightly reduced hours and other policies and a sneeze shield in our reception area that I've wanted to try out just to sneeze on it, just to see what it would look like, but that's probably not very good workplace etiquette. Yes. Might, might get addressed in HR. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to talking about the miracle of the State Board of Canvassers. So... Uh, we've been talking about the petition drive on LifeBeat for eons and ages at this point. Um, a year? Yeah, we've been, it's been over a year since we started collecting signatures and uh, even before that. So our petition drive to ban dismemberment abortions, you know, you, we talk, we've had, done it for so long, you have to keep describing it because people are going to forget. Uh, petition drive to ban the most common late-term abortion procedure. We collected all the signatures. We turned them in December. It's taken on, from December until this week for the Bureau of Elections to complete their verification process. And 
completed it and said, we didn't have enough signatures. So how does that feel? You come into the office and instant failure. Well, it wasn't necessarily failure. It was a possible failure. So it's been, uh, I would say, enlightening to come in in the tail end of the process since I wasn't here for the collecting of the signatures. So it's been a rush to kind of get up to speed on everything that's happened with the petition. But yes, it was very discouraging for a few days here. <laughs> uh, there, was an, uh, there was an air of discouragement around, but um, with the decision that came yesterday, um, everyone seems to be in higher spirits and we're very hopeful for the next step. Yeah, so uh, to just to go into what the decision was, so uh, the, Bo the Bureau of Elections pulls a sample of 500 signatures from the uh, almost 380,000 that we turned in, and they checked that sample because honestly they wouldn't have the time to be able to check 380,000 signatures. So they did that. Uh, Planned Parenthood on June 1st issued a challenge to a bunch of the signatures that they said were invalid. Uh, the Bureau of Elections accepted some of those challenges, rejected some other ones. In combination with the signatures the Bureau of Elections thinks were wrong, uh, our total sample amount indicated that the number of valid signatures that we collected was not the 340,047 we needed. They, based on their sample, they said that we were about 7,000 signatures short. And so uh, normally that means the end of the petition drive. Uh, there's a certain threshold that we had to reach for them to pull a larger sample to check and we didn't meet that threshold. So going into the meeting on Thursday where the Bureau of Elections provides their uh, basically recommendation to the State Board of Canvassers. Their recommendation was kill Right to Life of Michigan's petition drive. Uh, technically, Michigan values life. Yes. <laughs> and so what we had to do was present a really good case. And I think, Emily, we had a great case because the Bureau of Elections had thrown out 7,000 of our signatures before they even pulled the sample. Uh, most of these were for really silly things like tears, uh, stains from markers or coffee, stickers on the back, anything that obscured any word of the actual legislation to ban dismemberment abortions that was listed on the back of the petition or any, anything else on the front that is deemed a quote-unquote mandatory element. So if you are missing a letter in the word the in the description of the legislation on the back, then they throw out the petition and all up to eight signatures on it. Uh, and so when we were looking at these, and we've never, we've never looked at those signatures that have been thrown out before, and I guess no one really ever has. And we looked at it, we were kind of shocked. Like, okay, if there's a really bad rip, I think you can make a case. You know, if their policy has always been, if, if, every, if even a single letter is missing to throw it out, fine, that's the policy. But... Uh, they were throwing out petitions where you could read every word, every letter on the petition. Uh, they instituted a new policy. Their, their claiming was always been the case, but uh, if there's whiteout on a signature, which I can understand throwing it out because you don't know what was put under it, uh, but they were throwing out the entire petition if there was whiteout on any part of the document. So if you had seven good signatures, but one of them, someone made a mistake and whited it out, instead of just throwing out the questionable one, they threw out all of them. And so 
uh, what we did is we presented our case and uh, we had a lot of different issues that we had uh, a couple mistakes you know questions that we had uh, one in particular uh, it didn't affect the signature total but they pulled the wrong petition of the 500 they're supposed to check that's not encouraging another one was a gentleman who had Parkinson's disease and wrote uh, a his township that he lived in down correctly but because his penmanship is so poor, they say it looks like another township that's neighboring to him. Um, no, he's lived in that house for 67 years. His son works for the township. The guy knows where he lives, but they uh, threw that one out. Uh, and so uh, that was, we had a, a, an entire brief with all these issues that we had, but our, our crack legal team, uh, Really, uh, our, our lawyer who's been kind of handling this, who's done petition drives for time immemorial, uh, the greatest expert in the state on it, was the one who presented our case. And he focused on, you know, the sample is supposed to be representative. And you threw out 7,000 signatures, some of which should not have been thrown out. And two of the board of canvassers looked at this and said, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have thrown these out, which is big, Emily, because... The State Board of Canvassers really, uh, the Bureau of Elections is almost like their staff and they look out for their staff and they, you know, they care about the well-being of their staff. Uh, and so it's really hard to get the, the State Board of Canvassers to tell their staff they have to redo something. And to our knowledge, is the first time in Michigan history of, these, of this petition drive process or whatnot that that's actually happened. And the reason it's so difficult and the reason why it was kind of a miracle was the State Board of Canvassers is four members, two Republicans, two Democrats. And so if there's a split decision, that doesn't help you. So we had to convince one of the Democrats on the four member of the four member board to agree with us. And lo and behold, we didn't just get one, we got both. So that was a unanimous decision, Emily. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. It's, <laughs> uh, we should write this down. We should make it a right to life holiday. Miracle at the Board of Canvassers. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it, well, yeah. I mean, it should, this should go in history. I mean, we. I think we had a great case. I think, you know, no one's maybe ever really looked at those signatures that were thrown out. And if that was their policy to throw those out, I mean, it should be revised, you know. Uh, if you looked at the 7,000 signatures that were thrown out that made the difference in this sample, uh, then you would be kind of shocked at some of these that were thrown out. I remember when we first got the batch in here, I looked at them and I, I was struggling to find things that were wrong. There were very few of the 7,000 that were thrown out for actual issues like the uh, circulator wrote down something wrong or whatnot. Um, so the bottom line is right now we know that we submitted 340,047 signatures from registered voters. Of the additional almost 40,000 we submitted, uh, some of them were, are going to be thrown out for damage, uh, even if they sh shouldn't be, but that's their longstanding policy. Uh, we only got the board to uh, ask the staff to reevaluate them, uh, not to necessarily change their policy that if the is missing an E, that the whole thing is thrown out. Um, uh, some of those that were duplicates, about uh, 4% of the signatures we collected were duplicates. Uh, there's a lot of non-registered voters in there that we couldn't check. So we're pretty close, but I mean, we can guarantee that there's definitely 
340,047 registered voters in there. Uh, the question is, are there just enough little ticky-tack errors uh, that maybe that's the policy that has always been the case? Maybe it shouldn't be the case, but nevertheless, those are the policies that they have. And so what they're going to do now is they're going to pull a larger sample, uh, perhaps as many as uh, a total of 2,000 signatures, uh, including the, the 500 that they already pulled. So they're going to pull a thousand or so new signatures and count all those. Uh, we're going to add some signatures back because of damage that wasn't really damage. And Emily, we got to still reach 340,000. And it's so it was a miracle, but now the miracle we need was, another miracle. We need a continuing miracle, miracle. It was living to fight another day. Right. And we're still in the middle of the battle. And, and we were so sure that the board would reject the argument that, uh, you know, when we do press statements, usually you write that in advance with some quotes so you can be ready to go. And uh, I had written a press statement in the event of our success, but I have not even, I didn't cleared it with our, with anyone here at the office. I just had it on paper. The other one, in case it failed, was ready to go, uh, loaded up in a computer in our email. And uh, thankfully I, I clicked abort and that was the end of that. Uh, wave that one off. Um, so it'll take a couple weeks for the board of, uh, for the Bureau of Elections, Bureau Board, Board Bureau. It's a little confusing yeah. when you say it enough. It'll take a couple weeks for them to pull another sample and check it again. Planned Parenthood's going to come back and challenge it again, and we're going to have to have another fist fight. And I'll just say it's going to be close. Um, you know, we did everything we could in the office to check. Uh, we don't have time to check duplicates or... Uh, non-registered voters, which are what most of the errors are. It's going to come down to uh, some ticky-tack things. You know, if you sign the petition, thank you. You can feel confident that your signature definitely mattered because it might come down to one or two signatures in the sample. Um, and we can guarantee that we got definitely had 340,000 registered voters sign it. But the question is, you know, did they... Did they tear the corner of their petition and, or, and that's or fold that's what's it in do just them. the wrong way? Yeah, and... yeah, so that's frustrating. But that's life. All right. So after the petition drive uh, is done, it's going to be if we're successful, we're going to get that in, uh, enacted into law by the legislature. It's going to be sued in court, Emily. And uh, eventually then we, the whole goal, of course, is for the Supreme Court to say either A, uh, dismemberment bans are okay and other states can do them, including Michigan, or B, you know what, Roe versus Wade, you're out of here, thanks to the dismemberment ban. And so uh, A is more likely than B, getting rid of Roe versus Wade, but uh, you know, any positive thing we'll accept. And uh, we're going to get a good idea of how that might work out, Emily, because any day now, uh, the Supreme Court's going to release their decision in June versus Russo. I did. I checked myself there. We mentioned it before the podcast. What's the name of it? It's changed names about four times. Yeah. Hard um, to keep track. Yeah, it was June versus G or G. G. Yeah, now it's June versus Russo. Uh just to make a real brief summary of the case, uh, Louisiana enacted a law requiring abortion facilities to have hospital admitting privileges. So basically, if you're an abortionist, you have to be able to uh, seamlessly send one of your patients to the hospital. Now, Emily, why would you need to do that? Well, abortionists screw up quite often. And in a botched abortion, 
the woman has to go to the hospital and may need emergency medical treatment or she may die, which happens. And we have a lot of experience and evidence of what happens with these abortionists. Uh, sometimes they'll literally drive her to the ER, dump her out of the car, and then drive away. Sometimes they'll be gone off in another state doing abortions because they have like a circuits that they ride of multiple states, and they may not be available. And the ER doc or surgeon may need to have a critic would have some critical information that would be very helpful, but the abortionist isn't there to provide it. And I don't know, Emily. If you had, if you had surgery, Emily and uh, something went wrong and you went to the hospital and the surgeon needed or the ER doc wanted to call up the, the, the surgeon to get some really critical details on what's going wrong and the surgeon is off in another state and never responds. Are you okay with that, Emily? I wouldn't be okay with that and um, according to medical standards in the United States, the hospitals aren't okay with that. <laughs> so the double standard that we have right now for abortion clinics is really um, not reasonable given the state of modern medicine and is quite dangerous when you look at it compared to the medical standards that we have for everything else in the United States. It, it is amazing what they get away with. You know, you say you want to regulate them, you say regulator has to come in and make sure that you're like, you know, not have blood spattered rusty machines and they say, no, you can't do that. Except no one would, if you walked into any other clinic and there was rust on the machine and dried caked blood on it, would you sit there for the procedure? Or would you run away? It's horrifying. It is horrifying. And so this shouldn't be such a big deal, except of course, when it comes to Supreme Court, uh, logic and reason don't really carry the day. On the U.S. Supreme Court, there are four Justices right now who are absolutely locked in and will vote for abortion no matter what. I remember a couple, the last abortion case we dealt with um, during the oral argument that we thought Justices uh, Elena Kagan and even Ruth Bader Ginsburg had some very interesting questions like, uh, man, could you maybe get like two of them to actually vote to uphold this pro-life law? Like they were pretty... In the oral arguments, they're cutting under the case of the of the abortion uh, industry, but that when it came time to the actual decision, they lined up to support the abortion industry. They'll always do it. That's who they are. That's what it means to support abortion. I mean, just the idea in your head that we have a human living being and we can kill them, uh, but uh, you know, other human lives have value and purpose, but not them. I mean, it requires a certain level of cognitive dissonance. And, and so with this case out of Louisiana, we know automatically there's four votes against it. Uh, it, didn't, it doesn't matter the facts of the case. doesn't matter what the law says. We just know there's four votes against it. Is that how the courts are supposed to work? Goodness, no. But things don't usually work how they are intended to work in their inception anymore. Not anymore. Uh, not in the not in the era of murder hornets. <laughs> murder hornets, goodness. Uh, so, <laughs> oh man. Uh, Sharknado is going to be a, a oh, thing. Oh, it's going to become real, real life. Yeah, it's going to become real life pretty soon. <laughs> um, so the Supreme Court is going to decide that they've heard this case months ago. Decision, the end of the term is uh, June. They usually won't go into July, so any any day now, usually Monday or Thursday, is when they release cases. 
Uh, we're going to find out. And then the real key, the kind of questions, well, the question before uh, these last few days was, what's John Roberts going to do? Um, during oral arguments, John Roberts seemed skeptical, even though he voted to uphold a, a, almost a very similar Texas law. Uh, so John Roberts has no constitutional issue with it. But the question is, is John Roberts going to chicken out, basically, as he seems to do uh, with several high-profile cases where he decides it not on the merits, but on uh, what the impact on the Supreme Court's prestige might be. Uh, can't have the uh, CNN and the New York Times criticizing the legitimacy of our dear Supreme Court. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right? That, that was a nice impression. Yeah, it's all about reputation for him. He doesn't want to be, um, it seems with his decision, he doesn't want to ever be viewed as the bad guy to the media, which automatically anything to do with abortion, if you vote against, is going to put you in the bad guy version of the media cycle. So right. we'll and, see. And, and, where, and where he has really messed up in in a taking the standpoint of originalist judicial philosophy on several cases he's never really voted against the pro-life case he's always been really clear because obviously abortion is not in the constitution uh if you can find abortion in the constitution listed anywhere i'll buy you a yacht um and so uh john roberts was the real concern and, pro and still is a real concern but uh of course you know brett kavanaugh is a new justice on the court how will he rule? Um, he should be fine. He's never not, uh, you know, voted. He's never voted against a pro-life law. But funny things happen on the way to Washington D.C. for people. Um, whether it's uh, how they view themselves in the press or the prestige of the court, it's very different from when they were maybe in a, you know, the Circuit Court of Appeals or in a district level or a state level. Um, their spouses have to hear about how their what their husbands uh, do or their wives do and then uh, that could be an issue uh, so we're not sure what Brett Kavanaugh is going to do and we just had a case that was you know really unrelated to pro-life issues involving uh, the Civil Rights Act and the definition of the word sex and a really surprising decision by Neil Gorsuch now Neil Gorsuch again has never voted against uh, a pro-life law and uh, has held himself out is, you know, is kind of the replacement of Scalia. And so clearly abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. Um, but now people are wondering, what's Neil Gorsuch going to do? And so uh, we should have a 5-4 pro-life majority in this case. Um, I heard someone spreading a rumor on Twitter that the pro-life side lost this one, uh, which the most obvious way that would happen is John Roberts saying, well, we just decided the Texas case and and stare decisis and all that, and uh, see my voice change, you know, yeah, and it, it, was the, it was the prestige, it was here, <laughs> and then, you know, it became kind of the grungy, the grungy, grungy guy, it doesn't care, you know, what, whatever. It depends on the persona of John right. Roberts you're trying to Multiple convey. personality yes. disorder, that's what we're going to chalk it up to. Well, that's what his rulings have seemed like. Yeah, actually, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, we'll see what happens, that could be as soon as Monday, uh, if... They, if the if it's a surprise now, I guess, and it's actually a five four pro life majority, and they uphold Louisiana's law. That's an indication that we can go farther, and do more to uh, stop abortion. If John Roberts 
or any of the other justices decide to strike down Louisiana law, then uh, that's going to be a tough one for abortion facility regulations. We have to ask ourselves, uh, is this just because it was just, a, just, was it just because a few years ago there was a similar case out of Texas that was decided and John Robert, Roberts didn't want to do that, reverse it so soon, or, you know, and then, um, yeah. Are we going to be back stuck, still stuck in neutral after nearly 50 years at the Supreme Court where you send a justice up who says they're going to call balls and strikes and instead uh, the abortion facilities get instant home runs and, you know, we're the ones getting all strikes. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, if, if a decision goes wrong, uh, you know, John Roberts was appointed by President Bush. If it's, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, that's going to be a real shocker. Uh, one temptation when you hear this with these Supreme Court nominees is, man, you know, we send these guys up and if they turn, you know, they turn tail or they chicken out or they change, what's, what's the purpose of it all? But Emily can't look at it like that. You know, the only other option is to just let the other side have all the nominations, you know, they're batting 100, you know, they're going to put people up who instantly will ax every pro-life law ever written. Uh, I'm, it's it's unfortunate there's this double standard uh, for a multitude of reasons, but uh, you know we can't change that double standard overnight, and so our options are uh, fight the double standard or just let the other side win. Uh, which option are we going to go with, Emily? I, I'm pretty sure we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting, and if, it, if we have to keep throwing up nominees to get five pro-life nominees for the next 40 years... We're going to keep fighting, and it doesn't make any sense to just hand it over to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who says not only is abortion legal everywhere, but you're, you're forced to pay for it. And if you're a doctor, you're forced to provide them. Um, elections have consequences. They do. And uh, we're going to have some more consequences coming up because we have an August primary election on August 4th. It's a Tuesday. Always Tuesday for Election Day uh, this year. The elections will be really different because there'll be a lot uh, more ab opportunities for absentee voting and mail-in voting. What are you planning on doing, Emily? Going in or absentee? I'm gonna go in. Okay, I always go in. Yeah. Never trust the United States Postal Service to deliver that ballot. True. You know they lost my voter registration. Really? Yep. So ever since then, I said, "There's no way oh I'm gonna my. send an absentee." If they lose your registration, you know. Yeah. How do they know that you're, how do you guarantee that your ballot's going to reach? I like going in. This is a little side note. I live in a very small township, so I like to go in because I know everybody, and it's great for a good conversation and doing civic duty, but oh, also right. it's good conversation. There you go. So uh, if you do want to mail it in, we're not criticizing you. You know, a lot of people have health issues, which was the original reason for absentee voting and whatnot. So... Uh, those ballots, they'll be able to do that pretty soon because they'll have the ballots in at your local clerk's office. And just in time for that, uh, we're going to be releasing the endorsements for the Right to Life Michigan Political Action Committee. So we went through all these candidates who want to run for the August primary. We interviewed them, sent them a questionnaire. Uh, our volunteers made recommendations to our Right to Life Michigan State PAC board, which made these endorsement decisions. And those will be out very soon. And you can find them on our website, rtl.org. There's a personalized pro-life ballot generator that you can do. You just stick in your name and your zip code. You know, we're not collecting the information. You just stick it in. And um, not like we would really do anything if we had just have your zip code. Yeah. 
<laughs> drop a mail bomb over your entire city. <laughs> well, uh, we could try it if we, we had a it, spare yeah. couple million dollars, but <laughs> right. since in the absence of that, we'll go with the method we use. <laughs> right. So you can, yeah, you can just plug in information. It'll show you exactly who was endorsed on your ballot, and that's really key. Uh, we can't end abortion and protect unborn children and create these laws that say uh, their lives need to be protected unless we don't, if we don't have pro-life elected officials. And uh, of course, who's making these judicial nominations? Uh, President and Senate, and uh, those are key races. If you, you don't get those right, then bad things happen. Elections have consequences. All right, that's all the time we have for this digital life beat. Join us again in two weeks. Enjoy this lovely Michigan summer weather.